welcome to Tectonic, the podcast that revolves around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. You're listening to episode number 25. I'm your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. Hey, Joshua. Hey, good evening. And also with us is our very special returning guest, Mr. Eddie Smith. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me back on. It is a pleasure always to hear your voice. You're one of the smartest minds that has ever guested on a podcast. We had you back on episode seven, and it has been far too long. Well, it's great to be back. I mean, it seems like a lot has happened uh, since the summer, certainly. A lot of new toys to play with, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And for an an actuary, it keeps life interesting. What's going on in actuaryville? Anything new? Oh, found new ways to use these toys for actuary <laughs> life. Yeah, I mean, probably nothing really new to report in terms of my sort of workflow that I use for work. But uh, I'm pretty excited about the iPad Pro. Actually, um, uh, I'm almost certainly going to get one, and I know exactly how I'm going to use it. I use an iPad currently for some things that I do with uh, screencasting and. Uh, video production, and uh, I'm probably a little bit more of an edge case, but I think the uh, the bigger screen and the Apple Pencil are going to be really useful for me, so I'm pretty excited about that product. So, so you've pre, pre-ordered it, basically? <laughs> if there was a way to do that, yes, I would. I don't think <laughs> as I, I was order watching, it As I was watching the, the live video, I just, several times, I think I tweeted, tweeted out, just here's my credit card. Just send it. I mean, you don't. You can just stop now. Move on. Yeah. Here's my card. Let's move on. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I know you guys talked about it on the last episode, but uh, I think it's a really interesting product. It's certainly not for everybody, but I can immediately see value for it uh, for me. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, you know, I'm actually coming around to the the iPad Pro because the more I think about it, the more I'm unsatisfied with what I can do for digital design from the iPad Air and third-party styluses. And when I was listening to Rene Ritchie describe how well he was able to to doodle and, and observe others who were making sketches and annotations with the Apple Pencil on the iPad Pro from the demos at the event, it sounded like it was nearly as good as a pen and paper. But then there is this other consideration that there's going to be some interesting annoyances, like how do you charge the thing? I'm not interested in plugging it into the iPad Pro, so I would have to use an external accessory to charge it. And then there's this other consideration. I don't think about such things, but our friends CGP Gray and Mike Hurley talking on Cortex because both of those guys like a great deal of analog writing with traditional tools they pointed out that they're not interested in a completely smooth, round, cylindrical utensil for the pencil. Because it's completely round, it'll just roll right off of any kind of flat, smooth surface. And there's nothing to really block it to make it stay still. And there's no way to snap it onto a holder off the side of the iPad Pro at this time. Maybe somebody will develop that case and That'll be the case a lot of the the users will know and love. I don't know. Maybe that's something that the case developers need to be thinking about now. There's an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think things like that, people will solve it. I think people will come up with ways of of dealing with those things. But I, I've just, I've tried so many tricks to be able to write on an iPad because one of the things that I do uh, is uh, when I create videos, sometimes I like to just be able to just draw diagrams. Uh, I have all kinds of ways that I create visuals, but sometimes I just like the appearance of handwriting on the screen. It's just a little more casual. It kind of breaks things up if I'm doing something that's more professional oriented. Uh, it's just nice to see some handwriting and just some hand-drawn shapes and, and things like that. And I've tried so many tricks uh, to try to trick the iPad into doing proper palm rejection. And I've spent so much money trying different, you know, Bluetooth styluses and things like this. And I, and I always end up disappointed with them and I send them back. And, um, and then a year later, I'll see a new product in the new iPad and I'll think maybe it works now and it doesn't. But yeah, everything I've heard about the pencil that Apple makes, it, it 
seems like it works really, really well. And it's going to be just a massive upgrade for me uh, in terms of being able to just draw on the screen and having a bigger screen uh, is nice. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people talk about it in terms of it's too big. And I think people tend to compare it. Uh, I mean, people make relative judgments and they're comparing it to the existing iPad. And it is big compared to the existing iPad. It's not something you're going to carry around in your back pocket. But to me, the appropriate comparison for the way I use the iPad is not to a computer screen, but really to more of like a physical desktop because I use it so much uh, for reading too, uh, you know, and being able to just spread out PDFs and things. And I like this trend toward touch technology and, and hardware getting larger because, you know, I can see this you know, sort of Hollywood future where eventually my whole desk is like an iPad. And, you know, I mean, we've, we have these amazing computers and amazing laptops, and I've got this amazing MacBook Pro that I'm looking at right now uh, with the big 15-inch screen which in reality is really quite small. <laughs> I mean, the computer can do a lot, but visually there's not a lot of real estate there compared to 40, 50 years ago, or not even that long ago when people would spread out paper on a desk and work. And I kind of want to start moving back toward that uh, to be able to see more things at once and move things around. So who knows when we'll get to that, but I just, I like this trend of having larger touch screens. It could surprise people uh, in terms of its popularity. And that was something we saw with the Apple event, that Apple is moving towards more and more productivity with iOS. And many of the writers, the journalists have been pointing this out. It was Tim at TechPinions who wrote about the iOS ecosystem just the other day and millennials who are accustomed to mobile devices, that they're using computers less and less and a need to buy an, a MacBook or Mac Pro is falling for many of them who are finding alternative ways to not just get their you know, recreation and personal business done off of the iOS system, but also productivity. And so in general, we're seeing more of a curve in that direction. IBM is offering a lot of their enterprise solution apps with on the iPads. And that's interesting. It seems like that is the general direction that Microsoft is interested in moving as well. So maybe all the more power to you there, Eddie. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think it's easy for us, you know, the older you are, you know, to judge a computer relative to the computers that we grew up using. But absolutely, when you look at, you know, younger people, even, you know, early to mid-20s or younger, certainly, they do virtually all of their computing, either on an iPhone. Really, the iPhone is really what it is. I mean, uh, they type as fast on that as anything. And so, yes, it seems much more natural for them to transition to an iPad Pro, which, let's face it, you know, a couple of iterations from now, will be doing virtually everything the MacBook is doing now. I mean, it's, uh, it's basically, I mean, when I look at the iPad Pro, to me, that's the new MacBook. I mean, that that's what uh, the you know people who are doing heavier duty computing, not just browsing the web and texting, uh, they're going to be using a computer with a touch screen. And so, why not the iPad Pro? And the price of it is people also talked about it in terms of it being expensive. And I look at it, and I've come so close to buying a Surface a few times because I've wanted that pen. Uh, you know, functionality, and it would cost me $1,300 to buy just a decent Surface Pro, and yet I can get a fully trimmed out iPad Pro LTE and all for, what, 1100 bucks. So uh, I think it's, it's just amazing to me that the product even exists at that price point. And while we're thinking about it, I think some of the updates in iOS 9 prove that all the iPads are benefiting for productivity usage in the future. We're getting more keyboard shortcuts. We're getting, uh, what do they call it, quick type control. So you have quick selection and they have keyboard shortcuts, extra buttons, an extra menu of buttons on the keyboard itself. And related to this, 
with the iPad Pro, you actually have a full-sized digital on-screen keyboard that it means not everybody needs to get the keyboard cover. And I'm one of those people who do fairly well with the digital keyboard, and I like my external Bluetooth keyboards very much, and I've used those with iPads when I wanted to get a lot of writing done at a coffee shop. But I'm also pretty good with a digital on-screen keyboard just because many instances I wanted to take notes right on my lap. So I got good at it, and now a lot of people have commented, whoa, you're really good at that, show." It's, a, I guess, a skill, not very useful one right now. <laughs> but it's a, when it comes up, it's pretty handy to be able to type that well. Do you, do you just completely thumb it on the iPad, or do you actually use your four fingers? I get all the fingers involved. Okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds inappropriate. <laughs> but yeah, it is pretty good. Yeah, my, my biggest, I, I type pretty well on it too. I think the biggest drawback with the on-screen keyboard is not so much the ability to type fast on it. It's just the fact that it's consuming 50% of the screen <laughs> when it's up there. And so like if you can use an external keyboard, then your entire screen is available for something else other than keys. So, but yeah, I I don't, I, I probably won't buy the keyboard cover for the iPad Pro just because that's not really, I'm not buying it uh, to type on that much. And if I do want to type on it, I'm totally okay just pairing, you know, my Apple Bluetooth keyboard with it, which is what I do with my current iPad. I'm, I'm much more interested in just having more screen space and the pencil. I think to me, those are the big upgrades. Now, do you listen to any of your productions? You know, I know you do some videos for your work. Do you watch any of them on your iPad? I don't watch a lot of video on iPad. I work so much on my Mac to produce the videos that I'm really viewing everything on the Mac. And uh, most of it just goes through ScreenFlow. And ScreenFlow is just so easy to use. The fact that you can just connect the iPad to your Mac and it records what you're doing on the iPad as well as whatever else you're doing on the Mac. Yeah. I was wondering if your editing process would be influenced by picture-in-picture and having the ability to do your writing in one space or even your notes in one space, have the, key, the digital keyboard up on screen if necessary, while uh, also seeing some video content. But uh, yeah, maybe that's uh, just something that hasn't materialized. No, yeah, I, I do that. I do a lot of the picture-on-picture -picture stuff. Uh, I do tricks where I'm writing on the iPad and the final video makes it look like I'm writing just in some free space on the screen. It appears that I'm writing on whatever it is that uh, you're seeing on the screen, but I do some tricks to kind of just make it blend in, which is, is really another cool thing about ScreenFlow, the ability to have those multiple video objects and layer them on top of each other and, and resize them and move them around. I mean, everything is, is editable in post-production. So the iPad plus a Mac for the type of video production work I do is, is really really an amazing set of tools and i think the ipad pro will just make it even better just having the bigger screen because when you're writing on a screen it's not like writing on a piece of paper uh, for some reason your handwriting or whatever you're drawing naturally ends up being a little bit larger now with the apple pencil if it's as accurate as they say it is it may come closer to approaching writing on paper but uh, the fact that, at least me, I tend to write bigger on a screen, having a bigger screen helps there too. So that'll be nice. Yes, I was using one of the abilities to write or I guess uh, doodle in the Notes app today mm -hmm. with iOS 9 on the iPad. And I wanted to just quickly jot my signature to see what it was like on the iPad Air. And it came out very nicely. It almost looked like writing with a pencil on paper. And we, I'm not even talking about using a stylus just yet. But it, with my fingertip, I was writing my name out like gargantuan. It was just huge, covering <laughs> the entire display. And that's yeah. just what felt right. It didn't feel right to try and write with my fingertip any smaller. So yeah, we'll get to that a little bit more in a second when we get more into the nitty gritty for iOS 9 for the iPad, though. I want to back up and talk about installing iOS 9 and general features that cross over to the iPhone as well and explore our first impressions, first brush, installation problems, if we had any, what y'all guys think of the new apps. We talked a little bit about the, the beta when Joshua and I started using the beta program, uh, public beta, a few weeks back. 
And at the time, we were encountering a little bit of bugginess to be expected with the beta program, but I believe most of those kinks have been smoothed out. What did you think, Joshua? Yeah, after that first week or two, I've not had any major issues with iOS 9, and I didn't even uh, make note when the actual release was because I just kept updating whatever whatever they said I needed to update. I just updated it and uh, had a friend message me, hey, is iOS 9 out today? And I, I said, I, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, So yeah, uh, it's it's been it's been pretty solid. Uh, as far as any sort of quirkiness. So I can't complain too much. Now you have the iOS 9 on your personal iPhone at this time in the the full public real edition now? I believe so. Okay. But you're not using it on any iPads just yet. I actually have it on my old iPad 3. And uh, it seems to run just fine, if not better than iOS 8. I've not had any issues with that either. I found that some of the features they say don't work on the older iPads. Yeah. But I think most of them should work on the iPad 3. Uh, you know, I, I've not tried the, the video stuff, the, the picture-in-picture, picture, but I know the slide-over stuff and all of that. I don't think that works. I've not even bothered to try. Slide-over is actually more interesting than it sounds. I've been using it a little bit today. Yeah. Looking forward to a hardware update to take advantage of all these things, but I was just mainly going for a little bit more reliability and things like that on the on the iPad and you know, just because, you know, why not? Why not upgrade? Right. Of course. Why not? That's, we're all guinea pigs here. <laughs> Except for Eddie here, though. He was very shy about the beta. And you don't use betas in general? Is that just a good rule of thumb, Eddie? Yeah, I don't do beta operating systems. I, I've just, I've never done that. I don't know. I, I know a lot of people that do. And I guess because I know so many people that do, I know that uh, their interests are close enough to mine, and <laughs> I'll let the, I'll let them uh, find uh, the issues. Yeah, I um not even tempted. It, yeah, I'm. Part of it is I don't want to be bothered by bugs. I'm not a developer, so there's no um, I have no economic interest in knowing uh, if if like if I developed an app or something, I would obviously need to know if it was compatible. But that's not really my situation, and I think part of it is just sort of my nature that I just like to uh, delay gratification on things, and I kind of just like that moment when it finally drops. And I get more enjoyment out of it if I don't totally tune out. I mean, I kind of, you know, I pay attention to what people are saying if there's a major feature. But like sort of just being a little bit surprised by the update. So that's just me, though. I'm probably weird. But but I've it's been great for me. I mean, iOS 9, I like it. I mean, it's mostly just small improvements. Yeah, at first glance, it looks like you're still on iOS 8 until you move over to Search or you see Siri mm-hmm. or you move into the App Switcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the App Switcher, I absolutely love that. I, I knew that was coming and I didn't think much of it when I saw screenshots of it. But that's actually become one of my primary ways of just navigating around the phone. Again, it's sort of like flipping through paper. And, you know, as long as I've used the app recently... Honestly, it may be one of the most efficient ways to just simply navigate to an app, even if you don't you don't have to think about where it is anywhere. You just start flipping through like you're flipping through pages, and it just feels really intuitive. So it's funny, though. I think my favorite feature about iOS 9, it's, it's kind of mundane, but the Wi-Fi Assist is just so amazing <laughs> because um, I have good Wi-Fi, I have a good router, but uh, I have a bigger house, I guess, and and there are certain areas, especially if I'm outside, I'm constantly finding myself in these situations where, like, I've got the kids in the car, and I'm in the driveway, and maybe my wife is still getting something inside and waiting on her to come out, and so <laughs> I'm trying to do something on my phone, and there's just enough Wi-Fi signal to register with the phone. And I just get that, you know, that that horrible, that the worst icon you can see, which is that Wi-Fi symbol with just the bottom section filled in. And whenever I see that, I just groan because I know that it's enough for the phone to talk to the router, but not enough to move data back and forth. Before iOS 9, it basically paralyzed the internet connection. It didn't use LTE because it thought it was on Wi-Fi. I mean, it was doing what it was programmed to do. But the Wi-Fi couldn't deliver enough bandwidth to be of any value, and so your phone was basically just offline in those dead areas. But with the Wi-Fi Assist, just, I guess, for people that aren't familiar, 
it is now smart enough to know when that signal is weak enough. And if it's uh, below some threshold, I guess it uses LTE. Is that something we have to turn on? Because I still have that issue. I think it's on by default, but I'm not positive. Um, huh. And it has worked flawlessly for me. I've, I, and I, apparently, I'm in this situation enough to where I've already tested it several times. <laughs> and and it's great. Like if I go out in my yard or something, I'm now on LTE instead of trying to connect to that really thin, you know, Wi-Fi signal. So that's such a classic example of an Apple upgrade that's just almost not noteworthy you know it's just a little bit of extra polish but it just it comes up so frequently in your use of the phone that it just really makes the phone better to use so right i've really enjoyed that i've been benefiting from this as well because i have the problem whenever i'm getting in and out of the garage it's always at that time that I'm switching from something in my calendar or the maps app into overcast and I'm pulling out of the driveway. It's trying to call up the directions and it, it can't, it just freezes. Yeah. But I've noticed in the last few days that the freezing hasn't been an issue. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that is working and consistently so. Only one time I think it kind of got hung up because it wasn't that the connection was poor. It was like the router signal itself was poor yeah. or the, just the router itself was a poor device in my parents' home. And I wouldn't blame it on the Apple or well, the phone's ability. I'd say it was more of the, the shortcomings of the router itself that were giving it trouble. Yeah. Now, you don't, there, there isn't anything like slide over and split view on the iPhone. I want to talk a little bit more about the features that are interesting to explore on the iPhone's we have improved features in Maps and a renaming of Passbook. It's called Wallet. Not much to say here for myself. I don't use Wallet very much, but I think I would use it more in the future when it can virtually replace my wallet. If I don't have to carry much of anything in the way of cards because everything just works on the watch and the iPhone, then it would be great. Um, are y'all attracted to this at all? Can you see a future where virtually everything can be in the phone and the only thing you're carrying in your pocket is your driver's license. I, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't like redundancy, <laughs> so I don't want the cards in my wallet just adding unnecessary bulk, but I don't want to keep them in the car either. So uh, do y'all have any thoughts about this? Yeah. When, when, when uh, wallet stuff, I guess Google or not Google, uh, Apple pay came out last year, I immediately went and got my kids all checking accounts because I can see the future where they're we're in the store and they want something and I can easily just kind of, you know, pay for something out of their own account, you know, when they have a little bit of money saved up, but that hasn't actually materialized yet. But, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that kind of future where I can, I guess, more easily account for uh, expenditures from different accounts, you know, that sort of thing. I haven't really paid much attention to that. I know it was updated wallet. It's one of those apps you probably had in the dustbin. And you're just not thinking about it. It's out of sight and out of mind. Well, I, I mean, that's where all the Apple Pay stuff is stored, correct? So, yeah, I, I guess I used it with iOS 8, but just enough to enter a credit card for Apple Pay and that kind of thing. I certainly like the idea of having more stuff in there. I think for me, like the big void right now, the big problem that hasn't really been solved is our loyalty cards and like all these miscellaneous rewards cards and you know some stores are now integrating those more and more in there but like my gym has a card that I have to scan you know when I go in and there's just so many just random barcodes in the world that I wish I could put into that same app maybe you can now in iOS 9 but I don't think you can do that yet I don't think there's like a way of just putting a generic card in there I don't believe so that would be great I'm still using third-party apps. I think I use an app called Keyring or something like that. And it works okay, but it really wants to be more than just that. It wants to show me coupons and all kinds of ads. That, and, you know, and just it's just junky. Oh. Other apps are similar to that. And, uh, I mean, it, solves, it sort of solves the problem for me. I mean, I shouldn't put it down too much. But you can't get away from the rewards cards in your wallet or on your keychains. Exactly. There's, it just it feels weird to me that in 2015, there's still all these punch cards, like restaurants are handing you punch <laughs> cards and stuff like that. 
I just I can't keep up with them. I mean, I probably <laughs> I probably way overspend on food uh, because I don't keep up with loyalty cards. But it's, <laughs> it's not practical to me to keep up with them. But um, I wish all that stuff could be put into the wallet. It just seems like a logical place to put it. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of complexity because it's Apple doing business with all these other businesses, whether they're gas stations and clothing companies and restaurants and all of them doing it their own way. It's yeah, it's got to be more complicated than we realize. But at the same time, it feels like a really dated problem. So I agree with you, Eddie, that it would be better off in 2015. Just think about the holiday season. If there are representatives of these companies that listen to podcasts and they know what's good for them, just think about it. Just think about the what it would do for your profits if you could improve this across the board for all the iPhone users. It's been proven time and again that iPhone users are some of the most avid shoppers. So if there's any chance that you can get your rewards cards going in wallet, then all the more power to you. If you could use that with the Apple Pay style features, I don't know if you can use reward cards while you're using Apple Pay, but that would be a clever use case because I would think about that probably more often than using something like a store's very own credit card. I don't really like store credit cards. Uh, I stay away from them. Yeah, that, that'd be one more good reason to use Apple Pay. I agree. And I'm optimistic that it will get there just because I think that digital payment systems and digital verification systems are saying say a way of the future is a little corny because it's mostly <laughs> yeah it's mostly there already but um we can't stay analog forever <laughs> with no with things yeah. like that so I, I think it just it eventually will get here it's just a matter of filling in those holes i'm surprised they didn't call it the apple wallet because we have the apple pencil they didn't call it pencil i mean come on it's <laughs> like they're describing something in the future with Apple Pencil, it's it, this is different from all others. Yeah. So what they need is is a Apple punch card to give to like Starbucks and folks to to like digitally like punch <laughs> our iPhones to you know to to solve the the problem of the rewards card. That seems like that's the solution. Brings geomorphism <laughs> back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Eventually, it will come back in style in a, in a in a few iOSs. I think so. <laughs> hmm. Right now, you're not seeing much of any of it across the board. Speaking of which, in terms of design, one of the really compelling updates to for, for me as a designer, I just love this whimsy, was the Knight Rider-like Siri makeover, where when you speak into her, your waveforms create these uh, bright waves down at the bottom, and uh, it feels like you're speaking to a, a droid in Star Trek or something. I don't know, like some kind of special communicating device where it, it's it's instantaneous. There's not very much latency. Yeah. And when you see those waves, it's just an interesting light display. It's funny to me, like Siri just feels so much more solid in iOS 9. And I think it's purely in my head because of those little tweaks. But I like it. I like the fact that when I hold down the home button now, it doesn't just give that audible tone. It's more like the Apple Watch where it's just uh, vibration, haptic feedback, whatever it's called. It just feels more solid. It feels more accurate. Although I think like I've heard other people say this that have the watch that I think you start using Siri more. And I think just by virtue of that, you just get better at Siri. <laughs> and, you know, you get better at talking in a way that Siri understands. And then when you come back to your phone, it feels like it works even better there too. And I really starting with the Apple Watch, I, I had always used Siri on and off. But once I got the Apple Watch, I, I use Siri a lot now. Um, it's, it's really become one of the primary ways that I just interact with really all of my iOS devices, even the iPad. So it feels like it got upgraded with iOS 9, just with those little UI polishes. So do you use the Ahoy telephone command? No. I did that initially, uh, especially with the Apple Watch, because that seemed like the most obvious way to get Siri's attention. But the more I tried that, it seemed quirkier and it just felt kind of silly to say those <laughs> words, you know. And so now I just press the, the digital crown to when I want it to activate. I feel like we're going to have to start uh, spelling things in front of Siri t so that it, you know she or it doesn't know what we're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like with kids, you know, yeah. I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M. <laughs> Question mark? 
Well, eventually Siri will be like, how? And just, you know, she'll just be able to read our lips or something like that. So she'll be watching us with the eyesight cameras. Yeah, she'll have, yeah, she'll have a visual. You'll look over at her and she'll say, you gave me a funny look. What was that about? And like, nothing. I was just looking at you. <laughs> Calm down. You seem sad. Do you want some? Would you like to look at some cats on Pinterest? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes, that would help. Thank you. <laughs> she's ruling the roost now to over search. You know what they used to, well, if you think about it, on the Mac, they called it Spotlight. And Spotlight used to dwell in the top corner of the menu bar. Then Spotlight Now is presented as a launcher in the center of your you know, Mac display if you're using Yosemite or LCAP here in the near future. Then it doesn't feel like it's um, Spotlight anymore. I, I know it's Spotlight, but it doesn't feel like Spotlight. And on the iPhone, they're calling it Search. You know, They're kind of calling it Search instead of the Spotlight Search. I don't really think it was ever necessary to call it Spotlight because they didn't have all that much in common with what it did on the Mac OS. But now it seems like Siri is more involved because you're getting more of this proactive search uh, going on integration, and it's more useful to go there now for more of your inquiries. So people who have trouble just finding the app of choice who want to use the search to find the app they want to call up, they will find that using search now is far more effective, not just to call up apps as like an app launcher on the phone. You can also take common actions much faster, making quick calls, looking up scores, getting directions. I like the section where it shows nearby restaurants, bars, what they call convenience, I guess, would be retail shops and the like. But also, like right now, it updates based on the time of day. So in the morning, it may show coffee bars, and that would take you to nearby coffee shops in the Maps app if you're looking at this on the search suggestions. But also right now, because it is uh, in the evening when we're recording this, it has nightlife as one of the options. And I probably won't ever, ever use that, but just the fact that it's got that in there will work for a lot of people, and I know it'll vary from user to user. And the suggestions are pretty powerful. It's a proactive behavior. So it's suggesting that I could take text messages to, with my wife or with Joshua or uh, this client I have or the pizza place that I called this uh, evening to make an order from. And it's because it, these suggestions are based off of how I've been using search and not even using search, but just the apps in general on my phone in the last day. So I just hit nightlife just to see what was in my area, and it just gave me directions to my bed. <laughs> well, I don't know what that that means. If that, I think it must be a bug. I don't know. Your bed, not someone else's bed, not your neighbor's bed. <laughs> no, I, I'm actually joking. Yes. <laughs> Would you like to start the sleep cycle app? Sorry, I'm, I'm being very dry this evening. No, I I got that because I know if it had told me that, it would have been very accurate. So <laughs> it knows that's my nightlife. <laughs> yeah. You know where you're going to bed. Right. <laughs> you know, this this might be kind of a bold prediction, but I've been so impressed with the search screen. I mean, obviously you can pull down to search, but you know, swipe to the you know, right of your home screen and with the you know stuff that it shows you there. And I almost feel like that is the future of the home screen on the phone because it really is good at just sort of knowing the kind of things that I'm doing. Like you mentioned, the fact that you can search for just all sorts of all-purpose information. And I don't know if I'm just using it more in iOS 9 because it just feels snappier. It just looks more interesting, and maybe that's why I'm using it more. But it feels more accurate. Like more and more when I type something in search, I actually get something useful and it's causing me to use Apple Maps more. If I just need to look up a phone number for like a local business that I don't have saved, I now go straight to that search and it's either going to show me the phone number right there or it's going to say look in Maps and then Maps will find it immediately. And then even the news, like the news integration is something that if you had told me that was going to be there, I would have said, eh, how do you turn that off? But I'm actually using it. I'm looking at those headlines. It's often stuff that is sort of, I mean, obviously it's tied into what I've done in Apple News, 
But I like the direction they're going with that stuff. I think it's a good direction. I think it's better than a googly type direction. I like the fact that it's on the device. Oh, yeah, can maintaining your privacy. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that they have these features baked into the OS, whereas Google would manage all of these features in the cloud. And yeah, their servers would know everything about you. And I don't know how many people realize this in everyday, uh, you know, our everyday culture, you know, like my parents, they probably don't know, my siblings wouldn't know the difference. And they would assume that all this is happening somewhere up in iCloud. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, I'm much more excited about the fact that Apple is maintaining this level of privacy. And, and I'm very proud of them for taking this length of effort. Yeah. To do it, well, I would say to do it right. I think that's a huge feature. Like, I would almost call that screen, like, what do you what do you call that screen? I'm sure it has a name, the search screen. Like, that, to me, that's almost like one of the most interesting apps. Like, if you could just sort of think of that screen itself as an app for the type of information that it has and the fact that it's so accessible from the home screen with that just swipe gesture and I know it's always been there. I mean, even as soon as they implemented Spotlight, that's where they put it. But it just it's so much more dynamic now. So, guys, just a little test point. As you were talking, I decided to swipe down and type in beach. Tomorrow I'll be going to the beach in Florida. And sure enough, the second choice was the exact address of the beach house that was in the my mail. Amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, these days it's just called the search screen. So, yeah, they kind of dropped the Spotlight branding. But also going back to what you said, Eddie, I think that you're onto something there that they could move in this direction where this would become uh, the home screen or some iteration of it down the road would be the home screen. Because if you think about it, the springboard filled up with a bunch of apps is like looking in your applications folder every time you return to the desktop on a Mac. Mm -hmm. You know, they got the Launchpad app, which is something that uh, most Mac users I know don't ever seem to use because when you open an app, you're using the dock bar to call up that app and you don't need all 50 apps on your home screen of the Mac to open up like, you know, you're not going to use half of them in a day or half of them in a week. You're just going to use the same five or 10 down in the dock bar. So less is more. And yeah, I could see where there's a lot of potential of growth there in that area for the power users. And because, again, so much about iOS 9 seems to be focused on productivity and proactive assistance, it's only going to go more and more in this direction, I think. Uh, at, you know, it's like Siri isn't uh, competing with Google in the same, in the same realms. She's, the, Apple is finding new ways for her to, to assist us in ways that Google just isn't doing. They're not competing for the same spaces. And at, over time, you're probably going to spend even more time with Siri than ever before. So it's a good thing that, uh, yeah, she seems to be more effective than ever before. I'm happy with this development. Yeah, definitely. So another one of those exciting app updates, we have the Notes app. And it seems like everybody's talking about Notes. Everybody's getting on the Notes bandwagon. It was only 2014 and 13 when... People thought that the Notes app was just just the worst. You know, it was up there with the Stocks app. But now everybody's using Notes because it's integrated more into all the different share button features. You know, so if you're in, oh, the browser or anywhere else, you can quickly get something into Notes. You can put pictures in there. You can create checklists. You got annotations even. So you can use your, your fingertip or some kind of stylus, not the Apple Pencil at this time on the iPhone, but maybe in a newer model when they get when they get support for that with, say, the iPhone 7. I don't know if the Apple Pencil is going to be a big deal for the iPhone users. But you can, you can do sketches and the likes with the Notes app, and I've experimented with it. I'm happier with this Notes app than any other before. It, it just goes to show how... We didn't quite have enough features to make notes relevant for the people who seriously used Evernote and other solutions. Maybe you do all of your note taking and your short writing in Byword and you wanted to have it on all devices. So that was the go-to solution for you. And what I'm wondering is Apple has introduced a bunch of features to notes that have been available in other note taking apps. 
were the other note-taking apps lagging behind in updates and the users were just losing interest because the developers were not staying on the cutting edge and competing for their devotion? And Apple saw opportunities to win some of those people over to the Notes app crowd. And then, well, going back to what Craig Federighi said at the Apple event in the spring, like a ridiculous number of people were using Notes and weren't admitting to it. (laughs) Closet Notes users. Exactly. I find myself using it a little bit now. What do you guys think? The Notes app is very pretty. It's very attractive to use, especially in comparison to Evernote solutions, which are not consistent across different devices. But it just seems like Evernote is integrated into so many things. Every app I use, if I want to throw something into Evernote, you know, the API is there for other developers to use. So for me, I've got to stick with the uglier Evernote solution for now. And it seems like Apple is always playing catch up with features with some of these things. And, and I would actually just hop down to the iCloud Drive as being similar. You know, I, I recently went with the, uh, with the Pro account for Dropbox because, again, everywhere you look, you can share something to Dropbox. Or, you know, it's just it's everywhere. Whereas iCloud is like, OK, I open it up and there's a couple folders with my Apple stuff but I can't easily forward a, a message, you know, forward an attachment to iCloud Drive. It's just not there yet. If they could get to the point with things like Notes and iCloud Drive that could be a little bit more friendly with other things, I might consider. But for, for now, I'm sticking with Dropbox and Evernote, even though it, it's not a purist approach, I guess. <laughs> and that's not a bad idea. What do you think, Eddie? Well, I like it. Um and, and I do use Evernote a lot. I use Dropbox a lot, too. The Notes app comes along at kind of an interesting time in my use of Evernote. I mean, I'm, I think I'm not just a pro user of Evernote. I'm like a business, pre- whatever their biggest you know, <laughs> offering is. I'm a subscriber to that. Uh, we use it uh, at my company, even though I don't know how much everybody else is using it these days. But I feel like as a note-taking application, Evernote has really declined in value just because it does so many other things now to jot down a note on my iPhone in Evernote. The only practical way to do that is to do the note in drafts and send it to Evernote because the Evernote app for iPhone for me, and I mean, I have an iPhone 6, is just kind of clunky. It's more of a place that I go to find things that I already have. and And I have a lot in there. Uh, and I value, these days I value Evernote mostly for its cloud OCR. I mean, still just being able to take a photo of something and knowing that it will be searchable is that feature in my mind doesn't exist in any other app that would be practical for me to incorporate at this point. But for note taking, the notes app is really interesting in that you can do those little sketches and it works remarkably well. I mean, being able to create a sketch in line uh, and that's something that I do when I'm just as a part of my work sometimes when I'm outlining a, a, a technical paper and I, I need to either make a quick sketch to kind of think about something visually or to draw a diagram that I'll later convert into something more professional looking uh, on my computer. That's a huge feature, being able to write out like a math equation or something. I do that a lot. And using it the other day, I realized that you can even insert images into a note in line. The way I used that was I was, you know, reading a PDF, a technical paper on my iPad, and it had a diagram that I wanted to capture. I wanted to use that as a basis to create something else that I was working on. And so I took a screenshot on the iPad, and then I just sent it right into notes, and it worked flawlessly. I was able to keep you know, writing in notes above and below it, just being able to have sort of this mixed media uh, thing that immediately syncs everywhere. I don't have it on my Mac yet because I'm not running El Capitan. I did realize very quickly that if you go to iCloud.com, the web version of notes displays everything there and it updates immediately. So if you make a note on your iPhone, it's immediately available in iCloud.com. So you, I can still refer to things from my Mac. So it's really everywhere. The other thing I like is that you can create different notebooks. The one thing I wish they would do is it would be awesome if you could share a notebook. Because, you know, we can share like reminders lists now 
So like if you wanted to be able to share like a notebook with your spouse or something, that seems like that would be huge. And Right. That's exactly why I've not been able to buy into the Apple solution yet, you know, because we've got a lot of shared notebooks. For Yeah, you can make a list of things like that. No OCR, obviously, and it will never have OCR because it's not an OCR kind of thing. But yeah, those little features don't make it a replacement. But just for like ad hoc sort of mixtures of diagrams and notes, it seems to be a really nice tool that I really didn't have before. I mean, to do that stuff before, it was a mixture of, you know, plain text note taking and just random drawing apps. You know, if I needed to sketch out a diagram, it would just have to be in a separate app. So now I can do it all in one place. And related to this, if you are using the keyboard, then the quick type formatting text selection, it is just super slick on the iPad. I was using this and I thought, you know, this isn't going to really work, is it? You know, I'm going to try and do the text selection and it's going to be confusing where my cursor is moving. And I noticed on Apple's website, they even referred to this action of text selection as involving a cursor on the iPad. And I'm thinking, is it going to call up an arrow? I didn't see that in a demo. But there is no arrow. What it does is it shows where the flashing line up and down vertical line cursor is. So while you're moving about in the text, you just two two fingers, take two fingers and you tap and hold and slide across the keyboard on screen to move the position of the cursor around in the note. And this won't just work in the notes app. This will work elsewhere in other apps where you have a cursor involved as you type. So this is really good. Hmm. It actually feels like you are using a glass trackpad. Imagine the trackpad on the MacBook, but just larger because it's the size of the keyboard on the face of the iPad Air, the iPad Air 2, you know, whatever you're using. And if you are accustomed to tapping the trackpad, I know a lot of our friends prefer to click the trackpad as they use the trackpad on a MacBook. You can't click on the face of the iPad. You're going to have to think about it as tapping on the surface of a trackpad in order to uh, create the start point and end points of your selection. But if you're accustomed to doing this on a, a traditional trackpad, it works the same way here. So there was some criticism of how Craig Federighi demoed this particular feature originally for the iPads when they announced features in iOS 9. People thought that when he was giving the, de the demo at the Apple event, that he was moving about on screen much too fast for it to be uh, a, a real-world user's use case experience. But I found that it's actually that good. If you're accustomed to using a trackpad, then this is the exact same experience just uh, happening on the touchscreen. And is that, does that only work on the iPad or does it work on the iPhone too? I was told that it works on the iPhone in one of the betas and then that it, the feature was taken away and then it was brought back. And I haven't attempted to use it on the iPhone just because it didn't seem to make uh, sense or come naturally to me. Okay. But I'll yeah. give it a try because, it, you know, it can't hurt to try. I haven't tried that at all, even on the iPad, so probably should. We just have a little bit of time left and we could have said more, but I, I, there's one thing I'd like to get to. Are there any annoyances we have with iOS 9 we really wish that they would address? I can, I can tell you what mine is right now. The landscape view on the iPhone 6 Plus is not doing it for me across the board. Well, maybe the one time it works is when you're looking at videos and pictures. But if you have the keyboard layout in when you turn your iPhone 90 degrees, say if you're in messages, you can see your list of the current open threads that you have in the left side, and then you have the message open on the right, and then you have the keyboard on the bottom half of the iPhone 6 Plus. It's just cantankerous. It feels awkward. And I'll go to the springboard and all of a sudden at random, it switches to the landscape orientation when I didn't want it to. I never want to navigate my home screen in landscape, but it does it all the time. And it's like a bug where once it's called up, my, my phone is still in the palm of my hand in a portrait orientation. And because of something going on with the internals, the gyroscope or whatever, it thinks it's in landscape, but it's not. 
So now I'm tapping the screen, trying to get, I'm shaking the phone to try and get it out of landscape to return to the normal orientation and it doesn't respond. So then I have to take it and turn it sideways and turn it back again to get it to like get out of that orientation. Neither of you have the 6 Plus, so I imagine you're not faced with this conundrum. A lot of people say that the solution to this is to call up the control center and tap the button to lock the orientation in portrait. But what I found is the downside to keeping that on all the time is that when I am trying to look at my pictures, it's locked it into the portrait orientation. And then I have to go up into the control center and turn it off anyways, just for the sake of looking at pictures. So part of me feels like this whole attempt to make it work across all the, the OS has just produced some rotten experiences for the 6 Plus, and I would love for it to go away. I was going to say the solution to that is to buy an iPhone 6. <laughs> it's actually tempting. I'm, I'm seriously considering in the future moving to the 6 just to get away from this one problem. <laughs> yeah. There, there's only one small issue. I've had, I had a lot of small annoyances uh, at first, but you know, it used to be in iOS 8, you could double click, it would go to the app switcher, but it would also have that list of recent contacts. Uh, that went away and it was replaced by the Siri suggestions. And sometimes the suggestions aren't who you actually recently contacted. Sometimes they are. But even if they are, once you tap on the person, you know, and then you have to tap on the on the message if you want to, you know, go, go and message them. Sometimes they have multiple phone numbers. Sometimes they have multiple email addresses. And I can't remember which of those accounts that I actually was talking with them with. So that to me has been a, a huge annoyance. And then I ended up sending a message to the phone when I really went to, the, uh, to a certain email address. And sometimes they're synced up, sometimes they're not. That's my biggest annoyance, I guess, at this point. And I can see why. Eddie? Well, my biggest annoyance, fortunately, was fixable. But it's probably worth mentioning, just so everybody knows it's fixable. And probably people have already read this on Daring Fireball, so they probably already have this fixed. But, you know, in iOS 9, by default, they change the keyboard so that if you're Unless you press the shift key, the keys are lowercase. And if you hit the shift key, the keys become uppercase. Uh, and of course, um, you know, if you're at the start of a sentence, by default, it starts with an uppercase uh, character. And so I found it really jarring for the keys to constantly be changing cases on the keyboard. I, I had no idea. Like when I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's that's an improvement. That seems more intuitive so that I know if I press shift, I see big letters. If I don't press shift, I see small letters. That's an improvement. But the more I used it, the more jarring it felt. It turns out you can switch it back so that the keys, so that the letters are always in all caps on the keyboard. And I did that and it just immediately felt so much better. And maybe that's just because I've been using an iPhone long enough to where that's what my brain wants to see. That was, to me, very surprising that Apple made that the default, that changing case uh, which just, again, the keyboard, I don't know if it's just because it's so small. Visually, it's just very jarring to see those keys change case as you're typing. So what is that called in the keyboard's settings? Is that character preview? That's the other thing that's bizarre is that's exactly where I looked for it. And uh, it's not there. It's actually under accessibility. <laughs> uh, so it was very strange. John Gruber noted this in his post, and he switched it back the old way, too. And But if you go into settings, and then where is accessibility? Uh, is that under general? Yeah, you go to settings, general accessibility, and then there's another keyboard sub-menu. And then <laughs> at the very top, there's an option that says show lowercase keys. And in iOS 9, by default, that's switched on. <laughs> if you switch it off, then it looks the way it used to. So I switched it off, and I'm much happier. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that does not belong there. Yeah. Apple, come on. Yeah, strange place to put that setting because I'm sure other people are going to find that a little odd. Okay. But overall, we're pretty happy with iOS 9. There haven't been any huge crashes or hangups or restart problems at random. Battery life is good. I know in a rush, I just wanted to put this in here real fast. Battery life is exceptional. I, I really appreciate the new level of efficiency. And then when it gets down to 20% that it asks me if I want to switch to low power mode. Low power mode introduces some, not sluggishness, but like 
everything has to be reloaded in order to do anything with them in the low power mode. So you open up any given app, the browser, and has to stop to think and load each tab one at a time and slowly process the ability to you know, go to the page that you're loading. But it's worth it if you want to extend the battery life. And I have found this to be a tremendous upgrade. I would have paid for this upgrade just for that alone. Have y'all found this? No, I haven't found that setting that you just mentioned. To me, the battery seems the same, but I didn't have any issues before. I'm I'm okay. I, I was okay with the battery life and with iOS 8, so I'll have to try that too. <laughs> All right. But yeah, it, it seems to work. Does it get me to the end of the day when I can connect it to a charger? And whether it's at 5% or 50%, I don't care really because it'll charge overnight or you know, really within an hour or less. I think battery life's pretty good. All right then, Eddie? Where would you like people to find you online? Uh, Twitter's the best place, Eddie underscore Smith. I have a website called practicallyefficient.com that I still make posts at occasionally, but Twitter's probably where I'm the most vocal. Thank you so much for joining us again. I really like to have returning guests. If you want to find the other episode that Eddie has been on, then you can visit tectonic.fm slash people, and you will find Eddie there among all the people who have been guests. And you can see all the episodes Eddie has been a part of. So this is going to end it for episode 25 of Tectonic. We are so glad that you could join us. And if you don't already have them, you can find the show notes with links at tectonic.fm slash 25 or in the podcatcher that you're using. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, I'm underscore Joe Darnell. So I'm nearly as cool as Eddie because he's got the underscore two in his name. <laughs> and then our co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer, and the show is Tectonic FM. If you would like to send us a private message, then email should go to hello at tectonic.fm. We'd love to hear from you guys. Give us something to talk about and follow up and tell us why we were wrong. If you want to do us a huge favor, then check us out on iTunes and leave us a review. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks a bunch for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Okay, so. Okay. Just hit stop. I need to do something about my file management because maybe three minutes ago, uh, Logic said that I would run out of space to record. So that's not good. No, but it's fine. It's one recording and I have a backup and it's still going. <laughs> I'm constantly juggling maybe 15 gigabytes worth of audio files and Logic Pro files for the podcasts. No, not even. Actually, it's more like 2024. For two podcasts at a time. I had something happen to me today that I've never had happen before with that. Dropbox gave me a pop-up that said that it was no longer syncing my drive because my disk was full. And I've never ever seen it do that before. And I, I fight disk space issues a lot because I'm generating a lot of video and audio type stuff. And, and and apparently I had filled it up to the point where I needed to start dragging stuff off to external storage again, but I had never seen Dropbox. Yeah, no, that shouldn't make a difference. That's weird. I think what that error is saying is, is Dropbox is going to stop. I mean, this stuff is still in the cloud, but it's just not going to put new stuff on your current hard drive. Because what I've got, I've, I've got a, a terabyte uh, Mac Mini, which is my main computer, and like a little 128 gigabyte uh, MacBook Air. And I recently started using Dropbox a lot more. And uh, I had to start using the selective sync and the preferences in Dropbox to like turn off a lot of folders on the MacBook Air because it was taking pretty much everything that I was throwing in Dropbox and, and filling up the other computer. So that that might be something to, to look at. Like the stuff is still there in the in Dropbox. You probably still have plenty of space. Yeah, that's a good but, point. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure they have very good reasons for doing that. And in, and in a sense it, it's kind of nicer than I don't know. I wish it was almost like the uh, like the photos where you could have the file structure, but there would be a little little notation there that, that actual that file is not actually on your computer, which I would prefer to have access to all of it or at least see it and then say, okay, I'm not interested in that one and download it at the time. You know, like that little optimized for, you know, the hard drive kind of option. But uh, 
I completely agree. So for, for now, I've got everything pretty much turned off except for a special folder for my MacBook Air. And that's going to save my life on, on that. Yeah. I'm probably ha- going to have to do about the same thing because I'm putting more and more into Dropbox. And I think that that's the crux of the issue. My MacBook says it has a capacity of 248 gigabytes and presently 8.5 gigabytes are available. Oh, yeah. goodness. Logic Pro is lying. Do you use... Um... Daisy Disk. I do. That's yeah, that's a great app. I have not, but I should. It might be free. If not, it's worth buying. It's, it's it gives totally a really cool uh, visualization of your hard drive and like where, what's taking up all the space, and you can easily find stuff. No, I've been using another one. It's uh, called Clean My Mac. Clean My Mac Three, I think, is what it's on now. Okay, but it, it accomplishes the same idea. Yeah. Well, I've decided my next MacBook. I'm just I'm going to get at least a terabyte SSD. I'm just going to spend the money because I just I create so much video. Boom. Yeah, I'm just going to do it. I create so much data that it's just it's annoying to have to drag it off. That's a good idea. Did you record all this, Eddie? We'll throw this in as like an after show. No, I didn't actually. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's smart. You did the right thing. <laughs> usually, yeah, usually the less I record of myself, uh, the less regrets there are later. So, <laughs> no. okay. Thank you, Eddie. That was really, really good having you back. And so we'll have you again, probably before the end of the year, if you'd like to. Sure. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's it's fun to talk about this stuff. So glad you guys invited me back. One of the ways that I try to differentiate Tectonic a little bit from the other guys' shows is that Mac Power Users tries to rotate through like a hundred or so yeah. different guests. And every time they return, you're kind of like, oh yeah, I think I remember them about, you know, 150 episodes ago. Who are they again? And you have to become reacquainted. Yeah. And then on the other end of the extreme, you have shows from Relay and 5x5 where they have no guests at all. And it's always the same three uh, at the table. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, you sometimes feel like it'd be great if they would break some of the barriers and introduce new ideas among these three hosts. So what I'm trying to do is strike a balance where we have rotating guests that show up about every three months. And that way, it hasn't been so long that the audience remembers nothing about them and that we don't have to do a lot of formal introduction again because anybody heard your original episode, it's still relevant. It doesn't feel like it was so timely that it's now irrelevant. So episode seven still makes a lot of sense. If you go back and listen to it, it's not so focused on current events that it's, it's uninteresting. It works as your introductory episode. And so now we, don't, we can move past introductions and just get on with good conversation. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I think you definitely have different styles, just different podcasts, different styles. There's so many now, but it's great to come back. Keeps it fresh. I think part of my issue, like I think when I first started with podcasts, it was for me, it was synonymous with technology. And so I only listen to technology podcasts. But as I've added more of these other just random things that consumes the time that I have available to listen to podcasts. And so I have sort of a different distribution, but um, but I still I listen to ATP on a fairly regular basis. Although I have I struggle with their shows because they run so long, um, but uh, and I listen to the talk show on a fairly regular basis. And uh, between those two, I mean, you get a pretty big dose of Apple stuff. Sometimes I unsubscribe from the talk show, then I have to return. Yeah, I I go through those phases too. About the time you unsubscribe, that's when he interviews Phil Schiller, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so you end up missing something cool like that. Yeah, I think it's good. Like, I think it's good what you do, the fact that you kind of go out and sample some different personalities, because I think where some of the other shows, you know, certainly a talk show where, I mean, let's face it, he has a fairly small circle that he uh, would even uh, think about including on the show. You get, you know... Th- very intelligent opinions, but also very limited perspectives, I think. And like the iPad Pro, I mean, I think I listened to them talk about the iPad Pro and ATP, and they're coming at it purely from like a developer's perspective, and they just can't see the value in it, you know, and it doesn't make sense to them. And so their predictions for it are kind of gloomy. Yeah. uh, Which is completely logical coming from where they're coming from. But I think getting... Broader perspectives is is interesting. 
Well, if you appreciate the broader perspective, then you know who you need to listen to is the Cortex show. The reason that that show works so well is that CGP Grey is still very fresh to these circles. He, as a professional YouTuber and edutainer, he is thinking about all this technology stuff within um, his user experience over, uh, I don't know how many years he's been involved in this sort of technology. But now that he is using a lot of Apple technology and he's very mindful of productivity and efficiency, I think that he is your kind of user. And to hear the questions that Mike Hurley volleys at him, and then get CGP Gray's sort of like untainted, unfiltered, uninformed perspective where he's going based basically just off of his own likes and dislikes. It's really refreshing because it's unlike anything else we hear from everybody else. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. And I think you have to force yourself sort of to do that, but uh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I, I, I may keep all this in the after show using my Skype copy for, for this. <laughs> 